Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Episode 26. The Kindness of Strangers. Hi there and welcome to the Dublin Story Slam podcast. My name is Julian Clancy and I produce the podcast. And um, if you've been following us online, you'll have noticed that uh, we have moved things online for the foreseeable future. We don't know when we're going to be back doing live events, so we've decided to bring the events to you and into your living rooms or your kitchens around the world instead. So uh, we are going to be hosting live online storytelling events and they are completely free. They're just there to hopefully give you a little bit of a distraction, a little bit of a lift. And on Tuesday, uh, April 14th, we had our very first online event. The theme was The Kindness of Strangers. And we did it using Zoom. So it was hosted by our wonderful regular host, Colm O'Regan. And we had uh, three storytellers who you're going to hear from uh, on this podcast. And the most amazing thing is we had like close to 300 people tuning in from all around the world, from Copenhagen and Amsterdam and Germany and uh, across America uh, and obviously Ireland as well. And I think there was somebody even there from uh, Japan. So it was just a beautiful coming together of people from lots of different backgrounds, in lots of different parts of the world, all united through the power of storytelling. So we were really, 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 really touched um, that so many people uh, took part in it. So we were so touched that we're going to hold another one. Uh, The theme is Escape. I'm not going to give you the date purely because it got changed at the last minute on the last one. So I think the best advice is to go to the website the DublinStorySlam.com. There you will find details, hopefully, if they're up, of the next uh, Story Slam, when it's going to be happening. But I can tell you now that the theme is going to be Escape. Uh, okay, onto the podcast. Now, be warned, the audio quality on this, as a radio producer, um, I'm not even sure I would put it out there. But... If you can imagine it like this, imagine you're tuning in to some crazy bandwidth on an old vintage radio and the stories are just kind of floating across the ether, then I think, you know what, you'll forgive the audio quality. It's not crazy bad, but it's just not quite what we're used to here on the podcast. Still, I think the stories are really well worth sharing. 
I'm pretty much going to just tune in at the end just to say goodbye, but this is handing over the reins to our wonderful host, Colm O'Regan. But first, we're going to start off with the most weirdest sound ever, and it's the sound of 300 people being unmuted all at the same time so that they can applaud and welcome us in to the start of our very first online adventure called The Kindness of Strangers. That was such a beautiful soundscape there. I feel like if I started saying number nine, number nine, repeatedly over it, we would have one track from the Beatles White Album in the bag uh, from tonight. Uh, beautiful. Love loved to see all the people there, um, the people that flashed up across our screen. Uh, sounds great. So we know that you're, that you're out there. Uh, that was like the e-call of a bunch of exotic words. Guan Ireland uh, was the best call, lol. That's from Roshni Bihari. Hi, Roshni. So everybody, everybody's been, everybody's uh, left their mark already on the night. Let's get started with our first storyteller. Will you do that, Julian? Anything else? Yes, Catherine is, should be live. Uh, okay, so Catherine, it looks like your mic is, un, uh, is, is unmuted. So hopefully I will give you the counting and the next voice audience members you will hear is Catherine. So ladies and gentlemen, Catherine Brophy. Hello everybody. One of the great joys of telling stories is having an audience. You may think that you just sit there and listen, but in fact you contribute an enormous amount to the story. You laugh when there's jokes, you gasp when something extraordinary happens and you clap at the end. And sometimes you come up to us afterwards and tell us how good we were and it is just thrilling. Um, tonight, of course, I can't see any audience, but I know you're there, so I can feel your presence through the ether. Most adult audiences behave very sensibly and well, but when you're telling stories to children, you're never quite sure what's going to happen. For example, I recently had to do a thing for children of six, four to six, and the woman who was in charge had an assistant who was a student called Michelle, but Michelle had gone back to her classes. And the children were all going, oh, where's Michelle, where's Michelle, where's Michelle? And the woman in charge said, well, Michelle had to go to her classes, but we're delighted to have Catherine to tell us a story today, aren't we? And with one voice, they went, no! But that was just one thing. You have to be on your toes with kids all the time, especially when you have a smart aleck in the group. A couple of years ago, I was asked to do a storytelling event uh, at a festival in uh, Farmley House. Now, Farmley House is a house that used to be owned by the Guinnesses. That's the Guinnesses Good Few, the beer, those people. But it's now owned by the state, and it's where they put up uh, premiers and uh, ministers and queens and whoever comes to visit. But uh, when there's nobody important there, they have festivals and things there. And this particular festival was one of those. Um, organic sausages and, and handmade soap and fellas in jester cats, caps, blowing huge, ginormous bubbles and, and puppetry and so on. And they had fixed me up in a room which was, it was probably a converted stable, but it was lovely and comfortable and warm. And it was an ideal place for telling stories. And the arrangement was that I was to tell stories every hour on the hour for about 20 minutes, a half an hour or so, and then I'd have a break until the next group came on. And that all went perfectly well, grand, during the whole weekend. But on the last day, at the, the very last session that I was doing, 
the three o'clock crowd have, were just leaving and outside there were a lot of parents with children and asking, could they please come in? Because it was bitterly cold. There was an east wind that would skin lumps off you. So I said, of course, yeah, come on, come on in. So they came in and they sat down and I was saying to them, well, you know, we can't start the stories until four o'clock, but we had a little bit of chat. And while I was chatting to parents and children, there was one young fellow who was about, I suppose, about seven or eight. And he kept interrupting and asking questions and making smart remarks. And his mother kept saying, oh, shh, shh keep quiet, don't, shh, keep quiet, don't be saying anything, keep quiet, sit down. And of course, the worst thing you can do with a child like that is tell them to keep quiet and sit down. I know from hard experience that the best way of dealing with a child like that is to actually talk to them, give them the attention they want, spend a few minutes chatting, and then you can say, oh, now we'll give it, oh, the others a chance to talk. So that's what I did. I had a bit of banter with him. And surprise, surprise, I can out-banter a seven-year-old. Uh, and his mother was saying, oh, I'm glad there's somebody who's well able for him. But he was there with his arms folded, kind of going, oh, yeah, decent opposition at last. So that was fine. Then I said, well, now let's chat to the other kids. So I started asking them about Easter. And did they go on an Easter egg hunt? Oh, yes, they'd all been to look for eggs. And did everyone get Easter eggs? Yes, I got eggs. Yes, I got eggs. They all got Easter eggs. And how many Easter eggs did you get? 12, 14, 20, 13, huge, huge, huge numbers of Easter eggs. And then the smart Alec goes, and how many eggs did you get, Catherine? And without thinking, I said, none. And all their faces fell. And they went, oh. And they looked as though it was the greatest tragedy of the century. Now, the thing is, I don't actually like chocolate very much. I, I never choose a chocolate cake or a chocolate dessert or a chocolate ice cream. I'd, you know, if you gave me a present of a box of chocolates, I'd probably pass it on to somebody else. I can sort of take it or leave it. I mean, I'm not a savage. If I go to your house and you offer me chocolate cake, I will eat it. But Given the choice, I'd take sex over chocolate any day of the week. But before I had time to explain any of this, well, the child-appropriate parts of this to the kids, one of the organisers came in and wanted to have a word with me about business. So that was fine. And while I was talking to her, lots of other people came in and sat down. And by the time she was finished, it was time to start the stories again. So I got the kids all organized. I got all the children up in the front and the adults at the back. And I started off with, is everybody ready? Yay! Is everybody steady? Yay! And just as I drew breath to start off once upon a time, Smart Alec, who had moved over to the left, little pup, said, oh, Catherine, have you seen there's something under your chair? I was fit to kill him. I really was. But I said, yes, I know. It's my handbag. And he said, no, 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 there's something else. You better look. I thought, oh, jeekers tonight, this is going to be one of those days. But I had a look. And under my chair, I discovered the shiny silver paper of a chocolate egg. So I picked it up. It was a Cadbury's cream egg. Now, between yourself and myself, I think Cadbury's cream eggs are like Satan's gonads, frankly. But I didn't say that to the child. I turned and said, Oh gosh, an Easter egg, isn't that lovely? And he said, do you know how it got there? 
So I pretended to be bewildered, then to get sudden inspiration. And I said, did you put it there? Well, he was astonished. The jaw dropped. How did you know? How did you know that? So I just told him it was magic. And I thanked him very much and profusely. And his mother looked proud and patted him on the head. And he blushed prettily. And I was able to start once again, once upon a time. And I got to tell all the stories. And that was fine. They all went down very well. And when the session was over, to my astonishment, a whole lot of the children, with no prompting at all from their parents, came up and gave me Easter eggs. So I went home with a bag full of Satan's gonads. But I had a song in my heart. I was just so moved and touched by the kindness and the consideration and the generosity of these children. And I thought, Do you know, if this is the future, the future is okay, because those kids are all right. Yay, Catherine Brophy, thank you very much. That was brilliant. Thank you very much. So a lot of love on, online for Satan's gonads there. Also, as well as a lot of uh, love for that metaphor, uh, somebody misheard it, but gave uh, and possibly another uh, metaphor, somebody saying, ha ha ha, Satan's donut, which is a completely different part of Satan. Uh, let's read out a few more of your stories. So we've one from Laura O'Brien. I was robbed in Hoi An in uh, Vietnam. I left a lot of phone cash or cards and I was very stressed as I was traveling alone. My parents tried to send me money to Western Union, but the Vietnam banks would not accept uh, the code that Visa had given. So it was a bureaucratic issue. I tried four or five banks with no joy. In the last bank, I spoke to a lovely Vietnamese woman, but she could not help. I left this bank to make the one-hour walk back to my hotel in the blazing sun, trying to hold back the tears and the panic attack coming along. All of a sudden, I could hear someone running behind me and shouting. I was terrified that I was about to be uh, robbed again. I had literally nothing left for them to take. But when I turned around, it was the one from the bank. She gave me 50,000 dong of her own money, roughly 20 euro, to get a taxi back to my hostel and get some food. I broke down crying in the street and couldn't stop hugging her. I finally got some money a few days later, returned to the bank, gave that wonderful woman back her money, flowers, plus flowers and sweets, and it was her turn to cry and hug me. Her act of kindness made all the world of difference that day and will never be forgotten. That's lovely there from Laura O'Brien, and well done to that uh, Vietnamese uh, bank clerk. So uh, one more that we read out before we go to our next storyteller. This is from, uh, an somebody submitted this anonymously, and... Uh, it's uh, read it as follows. So one of the kindest and most life-changing things anyone's ever done for me was when I broke up with my first term, first long-term boyfriend. It was a terrible relationship. The day after we broke up, his mother rang me uh, and asked me to go for coffee. Let me just unlock my phone. Asked me to go for coffee. She took the time to lay out very kindly why my life would be better without her son, why I would be happier. She told me about her own marriage to his father, how difficult it had been to go through her 20s and 30s with someone like him. It was years ago now, but I never, ever forgot that woman who, who loved her family so much but cared enough about me to be that kind. I honestly don't think I'd have got through that experience uh, without her. She changed my life, and I'll be forever grateful. So uh, a lovely story, heartwarming story with uh, a plot twist as well, too. Thank you to that anonymous story submitter. So I see Maraid is uh, on screen. So ladies and gentlemen, give a virtual chatty or whatever way you want to do it thumbs up welcome to 
Uh, Mairead Murphy, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the stage, Mairead. Take it away, Mairead. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Thank you, Colm. I'd like to bring a story of the kindness of strangers to you from 1992, a long time ago now. I was in my mid-twenties. We were in the city of Munich where we had just started living and working there a year and a half earlier. It was at the invitation of my new boyfriend. He had got a job in Germany. I was out of a job as a nurse. It was it was a lot of unemployment in Ireland. So off we went anyway, full of adventure and love and horniness and so on. And we settled into Munich. It was really, really different. We, we got on great. We really did, myself and John. But it, was, it felt very, very different and very foreign to us. I was working in an intensive care unit auf Deutsch, and I'd never worked anywhere through German before. And every evening I came home with a headache from concentrating, translating in my head in a pretty tense environment. And even as we progressed there and our German became technically very good, we were still foreigners. So sometimes a stranger would come up to me in the street and ask me for directions to the city park or, or the hospital where I actually worked myself. And I would give directions in good German, but still with my Kerry accent. And they would look at me, walk away and ask somebody else for directions. So there was that lack of familiarity. Um, I missed, you know, the, the one finger salute from somebody driving past that you don't particularly know in Ireland, but they'll still give you the wave. Um, I missed the, the dialect, the, the humour. I missed everything about home. Well, one night, we were, we were in Germany about two years at the stage, and we were coming home from a weekend away. It was a, a warm September evening. It was dark at the stage. John was driving through heavy traffic in Munich. We were only a mile from home, and I was having a snooze in the passenger seat. And I was awoken to John breaking hard and screaming, Jesus, they've hit him! They've hit him! 
I was instantly awake and I said, what, where, who? And he said, that car in front, there's a, there's a guy under the car. They, they've hit him, they've hit him. He's fallen out from the traffic island. So we jumped out of the car. The couple in front of us were screaming and hugging each other. They were absolutely terrified. And they were speaking some other language that I, I didn't know. So they too were foreigners in the country. I dropped to my knees beside the car and was looking in underneath, but in the darkness I could see nothing. I feared for what I might see. And then the next thing I, I heard something. And then I smelled something. It was, it was alcohol, a wave of alcohol. What was that noise? What was that noise? And then I realized, Jesus, this is somebody whose airway is impeded. So I said to John, we've got to get this car off this guy as soon as possible. And John jumped into our car, threw it into reverse, backed it up onto the traffic island. So it was now pointing with its headlights at the scene. I was back down on my knees looking in underneath, could just barely make out a shape. And John got out the jack from the car and he started jacking up the car. And the next thing he noticed a set of well-polished black boots beside him. And he looked up and it was a traffic warden. And he said, is, in German, is this your car? And John said, yeah. He said, you know, it's forbidden to park like this. <laughs> and John kind of just gestured, like, do you see what's going on here? So he walked away. He actually continued on his way to clamp somebody else. John was using the jack to get the car up, and his hand was shaking with, with the adrenaline. And people were starting to come out of the night surrounding us, and a stranger's hand was put on John's shaking hands. And the stranger in foreign accent said, Lang Song, Lang Song, which meant slowly, slowly. Some stranger had come out of the dark to calm John, to steady him for this important job. But steadied and supported by the stranger, he got the jack, got the car up, and I went under a little bit. I could see an unkempt looking man in his mid fifties, long beard, long hair, deeply unconscious and gurgling, he wasn't breathing properly. So I said, we've got to get this car up. And just almost as if we had rehearsed it, John looked and pointed at four of the guys standing around looking, you, 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 you. Stand here, stand there. We're going to lift the car. We have to tip the car over and onto its side. And I looked at another three guys there. And I said, when we get the car up, we need to move him out. We need to move this guy very carefully. I'll take head and neck. You take his pelvis. You take his legs. And everybody was nodding. Everybody was looking at each other. Everybody was waiting for the count of three. They tipped over the car. I was able to go under and the other three guys helped, all coordinated, all on the count of three. We lifted him up as carefully as we could. His foot was now parallel with his shin bone. It was quite a bad break. His face was swollen from severe head trauma. And we lifted him out one, two, three paces to the right and down gently on the road. Many months later, uh, John was preparing for the, for the winter in Munich and he was down in our, in our Tief garage, the deep underground garage. 
and he was changing the tires to winter tires and he thought as he put the jack in it sounded wrong usually it's clank clank metal against metal but this time it was a quieter sound he took the jack back out again only to find a ponytail attached to the jack so he had inadvertently put the jack too close to that poor man's head and removed his his but hey look you know he was probably the only guy in munich in 1992 who didn't have a mullet so you know you count your blessings don't you but the ambulance crew came along there was this huge sense of relief in all of us that we had done our bit but now he was in the hands of the professionals they got him into the ambulance i hopped in to see, just to take one look at him. And he was already being ventilated, already up in an IV drip. And there was a huge sense of relief that he was still alive and really had a good chance now of survival. The ambulance took off and we all just stood around, sighing, huge sighs of relief, shaking hands, back slapping, just thank you, thank you, danke, danke. It was incredible. It was just an amazing feeling. Suddenly we were strangers united by something we had done together and that was a very very lovely powerful feeling a police van rocked up then and it they invited us all to queue up to enter this van one by one to give our names and details because of what we had done witnessed and so on and with that great release after a high adrenaline event i was laughing at the the polizei the german police guy asking everybody, would you please spell that name? Because there was a Greek taxi driver, there was two Turkish lads, there was a Serbian couple of lads, myself, McCarthy, very exotic name all of a sudden in Germany, John, my, my boyfriend, Murphy, and all of us from different countries, all of us without one common mother language, all of us without any link previously, had just come together for the good of this guy in his darkest hour. And I'm left with that memory of warmth, of a belief in human kindness, in a presumption always of goodness in somebody you meet rather than a presumption of them not being nice. So it was, it was 30 years ago, that boyfriend is now my hubby, has made four beautiful babies with me. And we often think of that guy and that night where the strangers in the night came out and joined together, showing the kindness of strangers. Thank you. Kindness of strangers there. And uh, I thought at one point you were going to hold up the ponytail. <laughs> <laughs> to the camera, uh, just you know, and just as a little <laughs> souvenir of it. Um, but what an what a, an amazing effort from uh, a United Nations of people there. Um, oh yes, Joe Nestor wondering what about the bloody traffic warden? Well, everybody's has to do their job to the letter of the law. <laughs> there, um, people are going to cry. Virtual tears from Alex. Murray needs to start a podcast from Sinead. There's enough podcasts, right? There's enough people doing podcasts now. We'll decide if anybody wants to do podcast. Come through us and then we'll, we'll assess your idea because um, I, I think it, the podcast um, box might be full. Uh, anyway, so uh, lots of love there for uh, Mairead's story. Let's see if we have any, uh, let me see if there are any comments. 
Uh, this is from Thomas Bueller uh, on a day off, I presume. Uh, it was, so his story is, it was three days before my wedding in Calcutta, India. As the inexperienced white groom, I blindly trusted my mother-in-law when she told me it would be easy to buy my wedding shoes when I got uh, there a week before the wedding. But handmade shoes sold on street markets in India are not made for European-sized feet. I'd already given up when we attended another wedding and I spotted the perfect shoes being worn by somebody else. Full of hope, I started talking to the owner of those shoes and found out he had bought them in Pune, which is a mere 2,000 kilometers away. When he heard my story, he insisted on gifting me his shoes there and then and continuing his night barefoot, saving me from the embarrassment of attending my own wedding barefoot. Wow, uh, that is amazing. Now, in an Irish wedding, most people end up in various stages of bare feet anyway by the time New York, New York comes on. But this sounded like it was much earlier on in the night. So uh, what a lovely gesture from that uh, man at a wedding in India all those years ago. So thank you very much, Thomas Bueller. So we are ready, I think, to go to our final storyteller of the night. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Daisy, are you ready? Give us a shout, Daisy, that, just to check yeah, your I'm ready. Daisy, ready. So, ladies and gentlemen, our final storyteller of the night. Will you give a warm virtual welcome to Daisy McCarthy? Hello, hello. So, um, I am known to, to walk myself at times into tricky situations. And this is a story about um, just such a time where um, if it wasn't for the kindness of strangers, I, I don't know what I have pulled through at all. Um, I was 28 at the time and I was going out with my boyfriend for five years. We were at the stage where we were like holidaying with each other's parents and, you know, thinking about calling each other life partner and that. Um, and a lot had changed. We'd been going out for half a decade and a lot had changed in that time, namely um, I had um, become exhausting and he had become exhausted. Um, but, you know, uh, he so like on a Saturday night, he'd like to stay in watching Take Me Out and I'd want him to actually take me out. We were living in, uh, in Scotland at the time and then he got a job in Newcastle and after a year it just seemed the right thing for me to, to follow him down. So, so we did, I got myself lined up, I got a job uh, lined up and a postgrad course and we, we rented, we decided to rent a three bed house. It, is, it was for the same price of around half a room in Dublin just so that's how we could do it. But we said listen we needed, he wanted space, that's why he wanted such an outrageously unnecessary house, and I needed space, uh, room to, to upcycle furniture, and I had plans to, you know, host friends and book clubs for people I didn't know, etc. Um, and so, um, around the time I moved down, we had also gotten really, really good, quite a talent, um, at having the most ridiculously heated fights over the most inane topics. So a week after I moved um, to, to move in with him in, in Newcastle, we had just exactly won such a fight. It was his birthday and he, um, for his birthday, wanted to stay in all day, like a kind of a mini lockdown. And so I said, listen, if we're going to do that, I'll just pop out and I'll, I'll buy a coffee table. I'd be lying on gum tree and I'll be stenciling it as we stayed in. And, uh, and it escalated, as these things do, um, up to him asking me, did I actually prefer him to the coffee table? And if someone asks you that, you should never pause. Um, uh, 
uh, and I did and then there was a storm out and a slam door and as I, I lay sulking in my room I, what was different is I got just clarity of what in the name of God was I doing in this situation not alone were we not being very nice to each other and bringing out the worst to each other we didn't really like much about each other anymore and so a thing about clarity, you can get real clarity about about a situation you shouldn't be in. You still have no idea how to fix it. So we were still a week in to this lease, to this My New Life in Newcastle. We were locked in the house um, with a 12-month lease ahead of me. Um, and it was tense. It was difficult. It had all the kind of headachey stress of a, of a global pandemic. Um, and uh, we separated our groceries and we separated our... Um, our bedrooms um, and had circular tense conversations and I just got fixated on uh, knitting a rug out of old fabric I just kept on knitting um, and for around a month that's just all I was doing we're living broken up and um, up to he got to a point where he said can we have a single conversation without you holding sharp implements please um, uh, but listen I thought you know something. I thought I'd just keep on going until something you know would change uh, we were waiting to see if the, the estate agent would release us from the lease um, and uh, a month or six weeks in I was at work on a Friday um, and I got the call from the estate agent and they said unless we could find another tenant we were locked in and we had to live together we couldn't we had to keep on paying rent um and it all hit me and I had a really long lonely weekend ahead and you know when you start the emotions come in at work and you start sniffling and then and then your eyes you know it starts watering a bit except I'm a dentist so when I was at work I was actually doing a filling on someone and so I thought I was hiding it until I saw the poor soul's eyes open up as he saw the teardrop come from my eyes. Now, I thought I was having a bad day. He was just trying to get a filling in his tooth and he's face to face with a woman on the verge of the meltdown with a drill in his mouth. It was not easy and his act of kindness was that he did not report a deranged weeping dentist to his boss and I got to keep my job. But I realized something had to change. So um, I put the, 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 I looked for a new house uh, room on, on spare room and I put the house um, up on Gumtree um, uh, to see if someone would take it. Um, and uh, and a, a room came up in, in what looked like a lovely clean, big house en suite that you shared with six people. So I went for the viewing um, and um, it was there was just three lovely flatmates um, hanging around when I was viewing, making dinner, joking, laughing. And it was the exact opposite to the tension that I'd been living in. It felt like a metaphorical warm hug just to be in the kitchen. And they asked me about me, why I was there. And I told them and they said, oh, that happened to us too. All of our lives have turned to absolute shit, excuse the language. Um, and, all, and that's why we're here. And I was like, my goodness, and they're fine. Um, and towards the end, they said, listen, we think you'd be a really good fit. So, um, so if you tell the landlord you'd like the room, we'll, we'll okay it. One of the guys who wasn't there later told me he got the email and he thought, listen, I haven't met her, but with a name like Daisy, she's unlikely to be an asshole. So, um, so they, they gave me the room. Um, and, uh, but I still was paying double rent. Um, and so I took it, but didn't know quite how, how, how I'd afford it. Um, and, uh, and I was due to move in. It was Halloween weekend. Um, and I had to, you know, do the separating of all 
of our shared goods and saying goodbye to my then ex and the house. Um, and at the same, and, and it was really hard and heavy. And at the same time, my work had a, a fancy dress fundraiser, a Halloween party, and I was I was mostly holding it together up until I was coming home and I was just tired of trying and I was tired of it all. Um, and um, and I really didn't know was this glimmer of hope of the house going to even be feasible um, cost-wise. Um, and then that's how I became the woman who was uh, a grown woman dressed as a cat, weeping into her whiskers on public transport. That's how you become that person. Um, and the woman uh, sitting opposite me on the, on the metro just reached into her bag, I'll never forget it, and just without saying anything, just handed me a tissue. And it was just the most lovely, compassionate thing there in that moment. And I will never forget that. It was really, really helpful. Um, the next day I moved into the house and I did have one reply, one answer to my um, the, the ad on Gumtree for the house. And I was saying it to the guys and this guy, Ezra, the, a flatmate, said, listen, um, what you need is you need a bit of competition. What you need is to make it seem as though someone else wants the house as well. He said, I did drama in college. So I'll pretend um, that I want the house as well. I'll turn up and he said, you know what, to be more intimidating, I'll put on a Russian accent. Now, he was a well over six foot half Jamaican Yorkshireman. I didn't know why he needed to be Russian to be even more intimidating. But I wasn't going to argue with his process. And so um, so, so he did it. And he, he came in. And as the other guy came in, he was like, oh, this kitchen is fabulous. How is it such good value and so available? And his accent was slightly better than mine. Um, and, uh, and it worked. The guy took the house. And within a week, I was free. I was free to start my new life. Um, I stayed in that house for 18 months um, and those kind strangers became and still are some of, of my closest friends. Um, and it was like living in a sitcom. We had roast dinners, we threw parties with hot tubs and bouncing castles and snow machines. And it's funny that, that straight after one of the hardest times of my life came one of the best ones. And life goes in cycles, you know, and there's hard and difficult times and lonely times and it's all just cycles. But what those two months taught me was um, never be too proud to accept help because a stranger might just have the power to turn your day or your life around. And also, if ever you're in a position to give a stranger, a weeping stranger, a proverbial tissue do, because it might be just the very thing they need. Jason McCarthy, ladies and gentlemen, we got lots of wonderful comments. Uh, sounds like an episode of Fleabag from Kleena and Lynn Harding. Yes, I want to watch that show. Uh, but another great story here from Daisy McCarthy. So those were little stories. I just, want, I just want to read one out as well, if that's sure. okay. <clears throat> sure, yeah. So this is from uh, Julia. Once ago, I made eye contact with someone on my way to work. I think I noticed the cool hairstyle before I even looked at the face. And after a few months, that eye contact turned into a smile. We have been smiling for several months every time our paths crossed near Mount Joy Square when I was laid off four weeks ago. There are days when all I want is to smile at you on my way to work again. Please don't stop smiling at strangers. Oh, great. Great shot, Yulia. Uh, let's, if Yulia's on, let's all give a thumbs up to Yulia. 
Uh, there's some strangers here um, uh, giving you uh, that smile, especially for people who are, uh, are stuck inside for it the last while. Uh, so uh, thanks so much. You've been a great audience. We've thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, we're all excited. It's like first, it's like starting all over again. It's like a new relationship. Uh, so thank you so much. And we will say good night. Uh, safe home, safe, safe travels from your screen to whatever else in your house. Anyway, good night to all of you. Bye-bye. That was The Kindness of Strangers. And what a wonderful way to finish off uh, a really special evening. We were just glowing afterwards and totally buzzed up and filled with ideas uh, for the future because it was great energy. It was incredible. Okay, that is it for us. Make sure to stay tuned to the website uh, in terms of future events. Um, But we do have major plans for a very big event happening in May because in May it's going to be our third birthday. And we had planned a huge big show with all of our family and all of our friends that we've gathered over the last three years, but that will have to be moved online. So we'll be bringing you more information about that at these online slams and obviously um, on our next podcast. So make sure to keep an eye and an ear out for that. In the meantime, we say it all the time, just stay home, stay safe and stay strong. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Dublin Story Slam podcast. Bye. The Dublin Story Slam podcast is part of The Warren, the home of great Irish podcasts. As is my podcast, Meet Your Maker. You'll find loads of great shows at thewarren.ie. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.